The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. From the studios of The Shepherd Radio Network, it's Afternoons with Mike. This next hour is all about our walk with Jesus with local pastors, newsmakers, people who are making a difference for the gospel. Now, here is your host, Mike Gilland. Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to our program, Afternoons with Mike Heard daily here on the Shepherd Radio. I have the McLaughlins here with me today, Jeff and Shannon McLaughlin. They are from the uh, beautiful church that we have on Sunday afternoons right here, First Baptist Orlando. And we're going to learn a lot about what Jeff does there as well as what Shannon does. They've been married now. They're no longer marriage. What did you say? No longer marriage teenagers? We're not marriage teenagers anymore. (laughs) Married over 20 (laughs) years now. They've crossed it over. Jeff and Shannon, (laughs) welcome to the program. Glad to be here. Thank you. This is really exciting. I've known Jeff. Jeff is a part of the team Mm -hmm. that produces the program Designed to Heal. And that's heard every Saturday right here on The Shepherd, along with our friend, Dr. Ben, Ben Rawl. So you're the other part of that. You're the producer and the color commentator. Man. I'm the normal part of that, Mike. You know that, okay? I'm the I'm the sanity in that. that now you'd be the straight guy, right? Is yeah. that, uh, the... Which you know, if, yeah. To the listener that's heard the show, they're going, "Well, he's the he's the sanity. We've got big problems there, that, that show." Right. But but yes, yes, we were part of Design to Heal and love doing that show and love the. Yeah. the opportunity to be on The Shepherd and, and get to do it. So, yeah. You, you were doing a podcast long before you went on terrestrial radio. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a funny story about that. I've uh, maybe shared this one other time. When I started doing this uh, particular radio show in 19, now I'd been a pastor. Prior to that, I had not had a radio show for a long time. Uh, but uh, my daughter was talking to a fellow college student that uh, who was curious about what I was going to do. And she said, uh, well, he's going to be doing a, a talk radio show. And this young lady asked my daughter, is that like a podcast? And my <laughs> and my daughter's answer was, well, it's like an OG podcast. <laughs> that's funny. That's <laughs> the, it's the right description. Yeah, that's, that's right. right. Description. Yeah. And, no, so um, our friends that are listening that have no idea what OG, you'll have to Google that one. <laughs> All right. But anyway, so my daughter said, yeah, kind of like that. It's the original. It's the original version of a podcast. So long Mm. before there were podcasts, uh, Virginia, there were radio shows. (laughs) And uh, and then one more one more funny talk radio thing that happened when talk radio first came out in my hometown up in Indiana. There was a guy who was at the radio station had talk radio long before they were really comfortable uh, as a talk show mm-hmm, host, mm-hmm. and they were trying to do live call-in. And uh, there's nothing worse than doing a live call-in talk show when you don't have people calling in. And the guy who was hosting had no idea what to do. Ooh. And so he was making up things as he went along, and he goes, you know, that's right. We have a little bye-bye room here, and that's where we practice saying bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> So no sympathy callers. That was just, man. I'm hearing this and I thought, I'm not going to call in. I want to continue to see what this guy does. Oh, man. (laughs) See how long he lasts. How long does he last? That's right, Jim. Yeah, I guess that's that's why we have traffic jams and gawkers on the side of the road. What's happening over there on the side of the road? Yeah. Mm. (laughs) Bye-bye. That's great. It was too funny. And and, uh, it, it, um, I, I guess they still do it up there. I don't know. 
They may have the Bavai room going. Now, you're guys, you do a podcast, all right, but your main gig is not that. Mm-hmm. Your main gig is that you're a mar- you're a pastor mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and a, a marriage coach. Yeah. And that is something. Now, I think that term it kind of uh, is not that old of a term Mm-mm. in the church, Mm-mm. right? Mm. Yeah. No, it's not. And, and uh, you know, for us, we were, of course, an ordained pastor, seminary trained and all that stuff. I was a youth pastor for 10 years and even before that. And so we've, we've cut our teeth in, in ministry, but just over time saw the need for pastoral care for marriages. And, you know, by virtue of, and I think it started in youth ministry for us. I mean, we definitely, we were the ones that we were the specialists for the, you know, the kids, if you will. I, it's so funny that I, I hear myself say that because I go, we were the ones that before we had yeah. kids, parents would send yeah. their kids to. Like, like, what were they thinking? What were they thinking? You know? That's right. <laughs> but I think in, in the midst of, of doing that, you know, it, it's, it gave us a unique um, window perspective to see all of these different stages of, of life that the family goes through. And so uh, when we came to First Baptist Orlando, part of the responsibility, part of the calling of, of coming there was to oversee you know, the programs and events and things like that for marriage and, and even, even some of the basic discipleship like small groups and, and stuff like that. And just what happened over the years was, you know, I, I'm, Shannon and I are both, we're just high relational people. And so even at a big church like that, we love doing whatever we can to make the big church feel small. Mm-hmm. And so you're getting in yeah. the trenches with people's lives and they trust you. And then they come to you and go, do you guys meet with couples? And so I'm not, but maybe just a couple of years on staff there years ago where I have now this influx of people that are coming out of the woodwork going, we got issues, right? Can you help? You know, it's amazing. Cause and you know, this is a pastor, Mike, that, you know, when you're there and, and there's potential help and healing that you can, you know, be a part of helping God bring, you know, people line up. There's always a world to save, you yeah. know, that's, that's out there. And so we were just having that and said, sure, we'd, we'd meet with you because I, I think for us, we had had some experiences prior to coming to the church where we saw, we saw what happens when there was no place for a couple to turn to. Okay. We'd just seen that whole other story for another day and just said, man, that's sad. And we can't be those people. Like, like, Everybody needs some hope. Everybody needs a place that they can turn to. And if we are the privileged ones that get to be, you know, thought of as that go to for the couples, then we're going to meet them in that place. We're going to meet them on the in the war zone or whatever and help walk them walk them through that. That's a fair term, right? Yeah. And I think we remember we started out having people into our home. We had them over for dinner. We'd sit on our couch with them. We'd, We'd started there. And then we realized really fast. Wow. A, this is going to get expensive (laughs) and time consuming. And we had too many. We just couldn't do it at that capacity anymore. And so we had to to be more full time in the the trenches with couples and not just (laughs) be that relational. But but it challenged. I think it challenged the model because, you know, like there's and I I see this now because I, I, I know a lot of people that are like in the church placement world and they do searches and stuff for positions and everything. And there's this there's this big emphasis right now on the next gen demographic and um, which I support. I I get it. I mean, it's but next gen a lot of times ends up being a person that oversees what the children's person is doing, what the youth person is doing, um, you know, what uh, I don't know, you know, maybe maybe some of the marriage initiatives that are out there. But very, very rarely does that scope include like trenches, pastoral ministry Mm -hmm. for couples. And so what happens in the absence of that is those couples go seeking help if, if sometimes they don't seek it. Right. Sometimes they go, well, I guess there's nothing for us and they don't know that there's, you know, options for help or whatever. And they try to figure things out on their own. But then sometimes and this was our case 
where we would have couples that went out and sought help from the clinical world. I have nothing against the clinical world. I have something against the clinical world when they come back to a couple who wants to make their marriage work. They know they've got issues. They're committed to making marriages work. I mean, I will tell you as a couple's coach, there are definitely situations where I've got one spouse that reaches out and they're going, I want to fix this marriage. And the other spouse is completely checked out. Mm -hmm. it, it takes two to tango. You've got to have both people at the table. But I'm talking about situations, Mike, where, where you've got both parties standing right in front of you going, we've been to three, four, five counselors out there and they told us we should get a divorce. And why would they do that? <laughs> I mean, I, yeah. to this day, I don't have an answer for you on that. Yeah. I, I guess for me, though, my, my gut reaction, and it remains that way to this day, it says, well, that's sad. Yeah. Right. Well, that's sad that yeah. there wasn't somebody that was looking at you going, you know, look, and Mike, I'm a guy I, I, on conviction level, on a, a very core values type level. I think that false hope is dangerous. Right. I don't ever want to be a guy that inspires false hope in somebody. I think that we've got to be careful on that, too. But I mean, how is it false hope to sit there and say to somebody, you want to make this this work and you're willing to do the work in it? I'm not their savior. Mm hmm. It's that recipe, mm -hmm. some good tools, somebody that believes for them, and then that divine intervention that takes care of the rest. And that's that's where we see successes with couples. And so what we realized was that experience was not in a vacuum. That That is not an isolated experience that we were just seeing at our church. Mm -hmm. That's what happens all over the place. And so um, there's a, a group called Communio out there. I think it's like communio.org if the listeners ever want to go check this out, partnered with the Barna Group on research stats to look at the investment that the average church makes in marriage. And it's minuscule. Like, I mean, it's depressing when you like, it's something like 95 or 98% of, of churches out there. Maybe it's a little bit lower. It's, it's, it's definitely higher than 85%, whatever it is, but you know, whether it's 85, 900 that spend like $0 a year on anything marriage. And I'm going, man, if you don't have a marriage, so I guess for us, you know, we used to say in our youth ministry days, and I'm sure that any pastor that works in any position, especially at a bigger church where they may not be the senior pastor per se, you're always going to make the argument that my job is the most important. You know, youth ministry was the most important thing that a church can do. I said that for 10 years and now I look at it and I go, so, so I'm saying that to expose my bias here, <laughs> yeah, right? right? I mean, part of that was just trying to preserve my job, you know? <laughs> but I say this, I say that with, with this, this understanding that there is a bias here, but I, I it's man, somebody's going to have to make a strong argument otherwise that says, tell me how this isn't one of the most important ministries that a church can have because you don't have a church if your families yeah. are suffering. Yeah. Right. And, and to yeah. me, I'm not, you know, I, as much as I loved being a youth pastor and everything, my perspective is different now that says my job, if I was in that role again, I would do it entirely differently. I would spend a lot more time helping mom and dad or, or in some cases, unfortunately it's the single moms, the single dad or whatever, whatever that yeah. unit is to be the pastors of their kids because yeah, youth pastors in their kids' lives for a season, it, even a senior pastor yeah. is. Right. And so to me, the core of the home, like God has set up the institution of family that mom and dad would be the primary discipler. I'm so glad you said children. that. That's exactly right. Now, in the 80s, where, where I kind of cut my teeth in ministry, yeah. early 80s, uh, I was I was buying in up in up in Kentucky. I was buying into the thought that, uh, you, you know, I'm the youth pastor yeah. and parents yeah. were looking at me and saying, well, you're the youth pastor. And I had one couple that brought their teenage son and he was, he was quite frankly a mess. Yeah. He was, uh, he was out there, uh, 
full blown into rebellion. Yeah. And the dad we were lucky, at, by the way, we didn't have any of that in youth ministry. We never had, we had, you had all sweet, wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. You. Yeah, that's right. Mike's about to throw something oh, and hail me across yeah, the room. Like, like, throw at Jeff right now. Yeah. Uh, no, this, this dad looked at me and he go, and he was mad. I mean, he had a little bit of fire in his eyes and he almost pounded his fist on the table and said, you're the youth pastor, do something yeah. with my son. Yeah. Mm. And I'm thinking, holy cow, I get that kid for 90 minutes a yeah. week in our youth meetings, yeah. once a week. Mm-hmm. And you're the dad and you're telling me, uh, you know, but mm. yet here's the sad part. I, I didn't know enough then to realize how crazy that was. Yeah. I felt yeah. a little bit of guilt yeah. then mm. that I needed to be doing more. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of people around the world today in our nation, uh, it, throughout the church, that they are still, even to this day, 30 years, almost 40 years later, yeah. still confused about what the role is. Yeah. And we see the the images of that thing that happened in Chicago last week where those teens were just running out of out of control. Yes. They were running amok. And one of the, I think, bright commentators of the day, somebody wisely said, where are the dads? Mm. Where are the parents? Mm. So, uh, you know, I think before you can have a real successful marriage, you have to be at least one who understands the concept of discipleship yep. over your own life mm-hmm. first. Mm-hmm. And then if you take that and now add another life to that marriage that starts off, you know, you know, starts off before the kids come around, you've got to have something going on between the two of you mm. that is understood that we are becoming the the couple that God wants us to be, which the Bible says, you, if you're married, you're one flesh. Mm-hmm. You the two shall become one, mm-hmm. and that's got to be something that you have together before you uh, kind of export that to your child. Would mm-hmm. you agree? A hundred percent. I think we spend yeah. so much time preparing for a wedding. Think about how many hours, yeah, brides and grooms spend planning for this one day. One day. One day, and then it's over. But how long, how much time do they invest in preparing for their marriage that's going to last? That is wise. Hopefully forever. Yeah. I'll I'll guarantee there are some people, Shannon, that spend all of the time that they should be investing in the uh, the marriage. They spend it investing in that wedding. Yeah. Exactly. And then they're bankrupt after that, Mm -hmm. relationally speaking. Yeah. Absolutely. We, you know, in my role, I get to do a lot of weddings and I have done I've done some some very glamorous ones, okay, on there like expensive. Where, yeah, that's that was my nice way of saying that, you know. And I'll tell you, I, you know, here's what I can tell you about the difference between that one versus the one that's, you know, to me, you you see the structure of family and the core values of the family come out. I'm not saying that a, a, a an amazing family to me, it's not about the the dollar amount that you spend, but I'll tell you this, I've seen some marriages that you know. It was to Shannon's point. It was all about that big day and it was all about the expenditures and throwing a really, really great yeah. party. Yeah. You know, but that didn't make the marriage. Mm. Right. I and mean, if it was a financial investment in that sense of the marriage, there is no correlation. In fact, if anything, there's probably a negative correlation a lot of times, yeah. you know, that happens there. And then I've seen weddings that, man, they were done on a budget, but it was done with love like you can't imagine. You see love from both sides of the family, an incredible support system. And you go, man, these guys are, they're going to be okay. They're going to be held accountable to their yeah. vows. It's not that the one that's, yeah, the high dollar one can't be that. But man, if that's the focus, yeah. You know, I think mm-hmm. back to when computers were coming out and it's kind of a harsh illustration, mm-hmm. but they came out with this expression 
on uh, inputting data into a computer, they said garbage in, garbage, garbage out. out. Mm-hmm. And while that is a harsh kind of, um, you think garbage, you know, there are people that sadly, though, when it comes to their marriages, they've they put something similar to garbage in. They've mm-hmm. they've spent very little investing, and then they wonder why I'm not getting anything out of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, we see it all the time. So we feel like you know one of the great responsibilities of the church is to recover that. And you know, again, to the church's credit, we still do a really, really good job. I'm talking the Church Universal here. We do a really good job of of honoring what marriage is, but maybe it's more like the idea of marriage. And I think where we, where we're missing the mark right now, and I even use the term and I know it's a strong one, but where we've abdicated our responsibility so often is teaching people how to be married. Like to me that the church, when it's doing its job, well, should be the go-to place that people can find a community that can support their marriage, but even intensive help at times when it's needed. Right? Practical tips. Yeah. But but that requires that requires being in relationship with people and it requires getting into the messes sometimes, you know, with them. And uh I, I don't know. I don't I don't know why there's a resistance, you know, to that. But I will tell you that I know that we're not alone because one of the fun things about getting to do what I do, especially at a place like where we are, is you know, you get to meet some interesting people, even across the country. And I, I just feel like now so more than ever, it's just we just don't have the strength of numbers yet. But at least the strength of heart is there where, you know, we're finding pockets of people all across the country that are going, yes. And and in their own little, you know, zone or, or whatever geography, they're having these kinds of conversations and, you know, taking steps to to change that. So, you know, I, it's it's an easy I think it's an easy habit for any of us to fall into, which is to take a shot at what the church is not doing. We all know that because, you know, the, we are the church. Right. And right. we're just <laughs> as much responsible for that. And so I never want to be a part of that conversation. I, when when I have these conversations, I get very optimistic because I go there's or, or very opportunistic, I should say, because I go, here's a problem. Right. And there's a constant need. That's not like the needs going away anytime soon. In 2023, right. this needs going to get worse and it's getting worse. So on and so forth. And we have an opportunity to rise up and to take ownership of that position that, again, that we've abdicated before. And I tell you, you know, as we've gotten to do that in our little microcosm some of the most rewarding work that you can ever There's imagine. There's no doubt about you know it. I mean, and it's yeah. generationally affecting. Mm-hmm. It That's really the is. Harder, you know? And you know, what we're talking about here today with marriages, and we're going to have to take a break, but what we're talking about is true in a large church like yours. Mm-hmm. And it's also true in a small church yep. of 50 people. That's right. Absolutely. I mean, the same kind of input that we can give into a healthy caring marriage uh, i don't care whether they're a part of a big one or a small church That's right mm-hmm. it's all the same that part of it is the same mm-hmm. and we can work and invest and see great things coming from it jeff and shannon the mclaughlins are here we'll be back with them in a moment don't go away this is afternoons with mike ec waters air conditioning and heat serves all your comfort needs with over 40 years experience EC Waters is a top train comfort specialist, earning customers for life with integrity. No wonder EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat has earned a 4.6 or higher out of 5 rating and reviews across all major online platforms. For all your comfort needs, call 407-603-9144 or visit ecwaters.com. Pastors and financial leaders, do you need expert accounting or tax help? Do you have payroll or 1099 questions? Do you need a ministry expert to help you acquire real estate for your next project? If the answer is yes, yes, and yes, visit PetraWorldwide.org. 
Petra Worldwide has been strengthening ministries to transform humanity since 2007. Visit PetraWorldwide.org or call 855-481-9095. Jeff is part of the First Baptist Orlando, part of a team there, a youth pastor turned into now a coach of marriages, along with Shannon, his wife, Jeff, and Shannon McLaughlin, my guests in the studio today. You know, that first segment just blew by, and we kind of ended that segment with this thing about, you know, regardless of whether it's a big church like First Baptist or whether you're a small church, maybe it's a church plant and you've got you know, like one friend of mine that's planted a church in Pasco County Mm -hmm. and they're running uh, under 20 people. Mm -hmm. And yet the importance of what we're talking about today, about the couples that they reach, it's just the same, isn't it? I mean, I I know you find that Mm -hmm. to be the truth. And I love what I heard you say, Jeff, Mm -hmm. that one of the things that you try to do, and I think every big church needs to do this, if it's a large church, it needs to be made to feel smaller yeah. and that's going to be done yeah. through relationships, it right? Is. It is. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, when y- you can easily become an anonymous face at a place like that, and I'll tell you a funny story. You can Mike. hide. You can, and yeah. you can, and do you, would you, if you can imagine this, um, as a college student, all right. So Shannon and I met at UCF. So we're, we're, you know, locals here, UCF <laughs> nights go nights. Right? right. And I remember as a college student, um, there were times that I actually went down to First Baptist Orlando. Never went there on Sundays. Right? It wasn't my home church or anything, but I would go there for their young adult ministry that they had. And years ago, and there's going to be some listeners out there going to hear this. Go, I remember that. Um, Orlando Metro. So Orlando Metro was a partnership, I think, with a few players that were involved. It was just you know a really, really passionate group of people that put together a really killer young adult gathering on Tuesday nights. And I mean, it's heyday. May have been upwards of a thousand people wow. there, That's but huge. one of the reasons yeah. that I loved it, and this wasn't, you know, there were plenty of people that were connected deeply in community, but there was a season in my life I wanted to be anonymous. <laughs> so I know what it's like to even go to my own church that I work at now and to sit in the back and be able to go to a place like that where the lights go down and everything. It's like I don't have to be known by anybody, that kind of thing. And so, you know, I'm always I'm always aware of those those kinds of people um, for sure and uh, looking out for them. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people that don't want that. In fact, the majority I would say would come to a place like that or or any church. I mean, it can be a 50 member church and you can still feel like, you know, an outsider or whatever. You can feel like maybe almost like you walked into a family reunion and you're not part of the family or something like that. You know, <laughs> if that makes sense. That's a great illustration. Yeah. You know, and I, yeah. I think for for all of us, like we've got a, you know, what I've what I've seen over the years. And I think this is this is why I'm so grateful, even though I, you know, I feel like I was I was replaying that first segment in my mind going. I, I was not trying to bash the role of a youth pastor at all. I hope it didn't come off like that. Um, oh no, just, I don't just think ev- so. it's evolved. Yeah. I guess the model has evolved for me. But I'm I'm so grateful because I think of it, and you would know this too, Mike, from your days of doing that. That as a youth pastor, you are forced into some very very precarious, you know, positions where you have to step outside of your comfort zone. Like I, I remember, I would go to schools and meet with our kids just because I didn't know what a youth pastor was supposed to do throughout yeah. the week. And I was not going to be a guy that sat around and played video games. So I said, well, I'm going to go where the kids are. And so here I am calling up schools and say, can I, you want to do what? I'm like, I just want to come eat with my kids and, and why and what? Cause I'm trying to build relationships and eventually they got on board. So here I am. I always remember like the last year of doing that. I was 29 or 30 years old going to like a middle school, sitting down with sixth grade yeah. boys that I'm trying to connect and get involved in my, and I got someone's friend sitting across the table. Are you his dad? <laughs> like asking questions like that. But I think about it, I go, well, why did I do that? I did that because I wanted to tell those kids, I was trying to send a message to those kids, you matter. 
right? And you belong with us. Yeah. You're a part of this family yeah. or whatever. And I think that I'm so grateful for those experiences because I think those experiences have carried me into where I am now because I'm still doing that now. We're still doing that in a different way. When Shannon was talking earlier about, you know, having people into our home or, or whatever, that that's just that's just a modern iteration of what I used to do sitting at lunch tables at a random middle school. I think that's right? great because the gospel works works outside of the four walls of a church building. Especially outside. And I think that's just the point. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jesus did not give us a model uh, to kind of fabric, to kind of uh, maybe build all of our churches around of just bringing people in. There is that aspect of yeah. public gathering that's yeah. very important, mm-hmm. and we always need to do it. But he told them to go out, to go out. Some, you know, in yeah. the early they were sent out two by two, and mm-hmm. uh, we're we're to go out and talk to them and share the good news yeah. of Jesus and yeah. to be his witnesses. Yeah. And, and I don't know, you can speak from your experiences, Shannon, too, but I mean, you know, you've been dragged along in this ride along the way. Not that she didn't have a, you know, a ministry heart of her own. She did. And that's kind of where we connected in our, mm-hmm. our relationship. But I think about some of the things that I've, you know, dragged you into, and then you've, you've taken, you know, had a life of your own in terms of connecting with people. You know? There's just something that happens when you invite someone into your space, you bring hospitality and you meet them and they don't have to air their dirty laundry in public. You mm-hmm. know, they can keep yeah. their very vulnerable places yeah. still private, but they feel like they belong. It's a homey location. They trust two people and it's, you know, a place where they can feel like they can really open up and be honest. Mm-hmm. And you said open up because don't you find that most people have walls of some sort? Of course we all do. Everyone has them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so the, the idea in relationship building is to get those walls torn down to where you're That's real right. with mm-hmm. each other. Yes, and to be clear, we don't we don't do that very much anymore. Sometimes we do, but yeah, we you're do get some callers going, "Hey, where do they live?" <laughs> yeah. just, well, where's know? this house in this <laughs> um, But we do try to create that same environment yeah. as we do coach each other. You know, coach with each other in in a in a room in the counseling center now. But we try to create that same warm, homey, cozy place where we are, you know, just trying to build that safe place where they can come and and let down those walls. Well, I think the first step. For anyone listening right now, maybe we've got couples that are experiencing some difficulties in their own marriage. A first step is is to be real one with another and realize and admit that we need we need some reality in our lives. I think that's step number one: mm-hmm. a, real, a realization that I need the Lord. And I think so many people have this notion that. Uh, that works for people who are perfect, but it doesn't work for us because we are imperfect. And I, that's just the wrong thing to say. It's a wrong thing to believe. Well, I mean, aren't you, aren't you, aren't the three of us glad that we're perfect and everything's <laughs> yeah, right. great? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> gosh, Mike, I remember uh, maybe if I, if I ever ch- achieved perfection, which I know I didn't, it lasted all of 30 seconds. And it was the most <laughs> exhausting 30 seconds of my life. You know what I'm saying? Like that. But I think to your point, I think, you know, as we think about our, our present day, part of, yeah. you know, we're, we're always called to respond to the culture in which we live. And I feel like the culture in which we live right now, you know, say with the advent of things like social media now has, has even has set up new avenues for which walls go up Mm. even more, which we can hide, which we can be anonymous or we can put our fake selves out there. And I think, man, I just, I, I feel like that great social experiment has already showing its cracks, but it's, it's doomed for a failure anyway, because there's something that the, the human experience was made to need and it is authenticity. Yeah. Right. And, and I think that, you know, as people are seeing, man, this isn't working like this isn't real. You know, I mean, we're seeing teenagers now that are like swearing off tech mm-hmm. and I love it. I think it's the coolest thing ever. 
Yeah, because they're, they're going, seeing that it's not real. Right. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, and so, so I think for us, as it relates to marriage work, you know, part of making that the big church and, and, and this is, you know, this is a metaphor for where we are, but it, the big church can be a 50 people again. Mm-hmm. But part of what makes it small, I think, is, is becoming the kinds of people that are approachable and trustworthy and, you know, aren't going to because that, that's the other thing someone needs. They don't just need a support. They need someone they can trust. And, you know, we used to have, I'm reminded of, of when we would take trips in our our student ministry. We had incredible groups of leaders over the years. And they would always tell me, you know, after a small group, you know, we're up in the mountains having a youth camp or something like that. And, you know, small groups are over for the night or whatever. And I would have leaders that would come up to me and go, hey, this these some very, very deep, cool things were shared in our group tonight. Like, do I need to share those with you? And my only rule for those groups, I said, if, if somebody's in danger, I need to know it. Other than that, that which was shared with you, that's your treasure. That doesn't belong to me. I said, you went on this trip and because of your investment in these kids lives, they trusted you to share you know, those very things like there's something powerful when we share as scripture talks about your very life with somebody, they open up and, and that's, that's part of the rewarding part too. Like I consider it treasure, even though it's people's pain and it's their struggles mm-hmm. sometimes mm-hmm. and couples work, man, it's a treasure and it ain't leaving here. Mm-hmm. And to be able to look a couple in the eye and to say, Hey, that, which you shared to their, it's, this is deeply painful. And I know that it took a lot of digging on your part to dig deep down and to share and disclose. And I want you just to know that part of Part of our heart for you in helping you to feel welcome and then equipping you and resourcing you is that we value what you just shared as painful as it may have been as treasure and it ain't leaving here. Mm-hmm. And so I think that 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 creates that breaks down a certain set of walls and, and allows us to be inside of their walls and then puts a new set of walls around there, which says this is sacred space. This is holy ground. Mm-hmm. Right. And this right. stuff isn't going to leave here and you can trust us in that context. Man, does that create incredible opportunities to see life change. So when you have a couple come into you and mm-hmm. you're talking with them and counseling and it becomes very clear that they are not living together. I mean, they are together, but they're not really together. They're kind of like living separate lives and there's unreality there. What What's one of the first things? How do you broach the subject of whether or not there's any kind of relationship that looks like a, a care one for another? What would you say? You want to take that one? She's like, no. <laughs> Mike already shared that I'm a, I'm a podcaster guy, so there's never an absence of, of conversation. You know, I, I think for us, we we learned. Um, you know, I, I know there's guys out there on the internet, like guys like like Simon Sinek and stuff that are out there that give their conversations about finding your why and finding your motivation. And I think I think that there is a spiritual principle to that as well. When we work with couples, like one of the first things that we're trying to help them do is to find a vision for their marriage because a lot of people are running away from something in their marriage. And I find this even in the premarital stage where they're, they are super committed. They haven't had, you know, some hard experiences or, or even just some stagnation that's lingered over time. I'll ask them the question, what's your, what's your vision for your marriage? Like, what are you guys trying to build together? Do they have it? No, no. I'll tell you some of the answers we hear. We, we hear a logistical answer a lot of times. So like, well, we're going to get married and we're going to, we're going to, you know, buy a house and have kids or whatever. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. Those are fun you know, life stages and life steps and everything, graduated steps, if you will, rites of passage is the word I was looking mm-hmm. for. Um, but more often than not, what we'll hear is, um, well, and they say that it's so funny because I can, I can even see the look in my mind of a premarital couple 
you know, forgive me, premarital couples, you're listening to this, but like young, dumb, and in love, man. And wasn't that a great time? Don't you remember when you were young, <laughs> young dumb, and in dumb, love? And in love. You know? That sounds like a new uh, I mean, Shannon's novel. like, who are you calling dumb? And I'm like, I didn't say you were the dumb one. I was the dumb one, right? I made the smart book. decision finding you, but you know, like young, dumb, and in love. We just didn't know what we didn't know. No, I just love it. And so uh, <laughs> they're going to be like, and that guy teaches marriage prep? Yeah. No. But where they're at that stage and they and so they have this little like puppy dog look about them and they lean into each other and they go, what's your vision for your marriage? And they go, you know, well, we're not going to get a divorce like we're in this thing to win this. Yeah. Right. In oh, it to win it. Yeah. Right? yeah. You know, or or it's uh, there is a variation of that. They might say something like, well, we're going to have a marriage better than, you know, maybe my parents had, assuming that wasn't a good example or something. And I go, I don't have a problem with that answer. That's not a bad answer, but it's a very incomplete answer because they're running from something. But man, you can, as you I mean, think about it, go back to your youth ministry days. How many don'ts did we tell our kids? Don't do this. Mm-hmm, don't do that. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we're at a lock in. Remember those still need therapy. Oh, for that's, those that's where I got my, that's where I got my gray hair before, <laughs> before it fell out. <laughs> exactly. You know, and you tell a kid, don't do this. I remember lock in one time we had a kid like literally got on the roof of our church fell off, broke his collarbone. And I'm looking at him going, what were you doing on the roof? <laughs> Of the church, and he looks at me like that was the strangest question that I should ever ask, right? And he's like, "Well, we were playing manhunt," and I said, "Well, I didn't say don't play manhunt. I didn't realize I had to say don't get on the roof of the church, you know, kind of thing." So there, there were not very many lock-ins in my in my time. But anyway, so we tell them don't do this, and then they find some other deviant yeah, right. thing to do. And and I think even though a marriage may not be doing that maliciously, you know, don't get a divorce. I, Mike, you and I, we all know people that are not divorced, but their marriage is suffering. It's a disaster, if I can say that word Yeah, right there. And is. so for us, we're, we're trying to, you know, the, the the finding your why or finding your vision for your marriage, A, is not, you know, a vision statement or some kind of eloquent, like sort of trick phrase. Um, it's, it's looking at scripture and going, what does God say you can be? Who does God say you can be as a couple? It's, it's more about the character of their marriage and, you know, dreaming together, like God-sized dreams of, of who they can become. And personally, my personal opinion about that, speaking from both experience in my own marriage, but also when we get to see God meet couples in that space, is they find something so compelling that they now have their reason for why we're not going to go for the juggler vein in the mm-hmm. moment of conflict when mm-hmm. it's whatever. It's that now, I, why would I do that and sabotage you who are my future? But when they don't have that, they don't see each other as my future. You're my enemy now. Or yeah. at least in the moments of, yeah. of pain and struggle. So we love to start there because all of the tools in the world are wonderful, but they are useless if you don't have motivation to use them. Right. You know, I think about the whole uh, like marriage. It's two people coming together. It's not a 50-50 thing. It's a 100-100. That's right. And, you know, maybe a 150-150. Yeah. I mean, really, <laughs> right. when you want to get right down let, to let it. Let me say something real quick. And I'm going to quote our, our senior pastor, David Youth, on this because David loves to say this to our couples. I'll bring him in just to kind of, you know, meet some of the couples that go through marriage prep classes and stuff. David has said about that very point. He said, you know, the problem with a 50-50 marriage is you will spend the rest of your marriage trying to figure out where their middle is. Mm. And I think that's such a really, really good that's line. That's rich. Isn't yeah, that good? That's good. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, you know, the, the truth is, I think one of the biggest problems with a lot of marriages is that you've got two people that are trying to be one that are still trying to be one all by themselves. Right. Mm-hmm. And they're not taking into consideration the fact that, uh, you know, they're, what Christ did for the church, he gave himself. And that picture from Ephesians 5 is so appalling. It's applicable to our marriages. He gave us that as a model. So, I mean, yeah, I know you find that, Shannon. When you, in your own marriage, you've been married for 20 years now. You've learned that it's your concept maybe today. You've learned a lot 
from what you did when you first married this guy, right? Absolutely. And I feel like when you first get married to someone, you both come into the marriage with your own set of play playbooks, right? Yeah, right. Everyone has their own rules from their family of origin. They have a way of dealing with the world, conflict, issues, past, whatever. Small things, middle thing, middle, small things, big things, it doesn't matter. Right, it doesn't. But when you can get on the same page and create a common playbook, that's when we really start to see the merging of that's well two said. separate people with different strengths and weaknesses coming to cover each other's weaknesses and be strength opposite of each other, like we see in Genesis. And so um, I just love that part of it. When that I see the beauty of God, the, how he created two separate, very opposite in a lot of cases, very different people to be able to come together and, and have unity. It's beautiful. She's quoting something I think is worth mentioning that in scripture, all right. I, so when I did my seminary degree, um, Mike, do you remember taking Hebrew? Do you have to take Hebrew? As I did of, not take Hebrew. Take- I, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, 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 I was not, uh, I was not into that part of the language on that. So a lot, I mean, of course you take Greek and everything. I took yeah. Greek, that's hard language and everything, but a lot of guys would just get through Hebrew and see, I'm a stories guy. And so like just old Testament, I, that's I, it's kind of like my playground, I guess, in some ways. And so I, I think I really enjoyed Hebrew, but I allowed myself to finish up my seminary time. I think my last semester I had one class and it was Hebrew, too. And so where you're doing you know, a little bit more of the in-depth um, mm-hmm. you know, passage work and everything. And so part of that was just knowing that I was already a marriage guy anyway. And I wanted to look at some of the specifically the Old Testament passages that dealt with marriage. And so I'm looking at Genesis, too, because, by the way, in Mark 10 and then um, Matthew 19, when Jesus is asked about divorce, he actually grounds his conversation about divorce by teaching what marriage is. And he quotes Genesis too. Mm-hmm. So I'm going, it's good enough to Jesus, you know, for whatever right. it's, you know, so I remember going looking there. So Shannon said strength opposite. And the reality is, is in most English Bibles, trans, Bible translations, you will see the words, I will make a helper suitable for the man. That's what God says. But the, the more literal translation of those words there um, in Hebrew are the words strength opposite. And so you just think about this. How many yeah. times do couples freak out? Oh, we're so different. It's like we're opposites. I'm the guy that's going cool. That's a a good thing. (laughs) Hey, we're up against a break. Let's let's hold that and pick that back up when we get back. This is Afternoons with Mike, Jeff, and Shannon McLaughlin, my guests. We'll be right back. Palm Beach Atlantic University, Orlando, offers three distinct areas of study. An evening Master's of Science in Clinical Mental Health Counseling, an evening Bachelor's of Science in Human Services, and our new Daytime Bachelor's of Science in Nursing. All of our courses are offered at our beautiful campus on Millennia Boulevard. For more information or to schedule a tour, call 844-PBA-ORLANDO. That's 844-PBA-ORLANDO. Back again now in the studio with Jeff and Shannon McLaughlin. And boy, the time is flying by. You know, we kind of ended that last segment. It was like... Man, this was just going hard and fast. And I I pray that couples that are hearing this are really catching this vision that if you find yourself that you are married to somebody, maybe you're thinking, how did I not see how different we are when we got married? That's not a bad thing that you're different. Uh, Embrace. You know, I I used to hear there was one guy, I'm not going to mention his name because it may cause some people to go, ah, I don't want to ever quote that guy. But he said that if if it wasn't God's will when you got married, it was God's will afterwards. And <laughs> That's so, a good line, too. Man, we're throwing around some quotes here today. I have to take note of this. Yeah, so you're That's married good. now, yeah. and you should stay married if That's you right. can. That's right. And, and I know that there are a lot of people out there who I'm... They've already crossed that Rubicon. They're no longer married. They're married maybe to their second or to their third spouse. Yeah. Uh, there needs to be some stopping along the way and say, hey, 
I need to pay attention and we need to start investing in this relationship yeah. that God has allowed us. We are married. Now we're married. What is God wanting to do mm. in our marriage? I think that's an important step. So just because you're different, that does not mean that's a bad thing. It's a great thing to add deficiencies that the other wouldn't have in their life. And you're strong in that area. Yeah. Well, let that be to your your advantage as a couple, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's I, a choice. That's the thing. It's a, it's it. a choice. Oh, I think people look a, for that to be a feeling yeah. so often. And, you know, that's when, when I, you know, I said in the last segment, I talked about being young, dumb and in love. And <laughs> I, I call that to me, that's the dopamine high. Right. And, and there's a there's a beautiful season and God has made us that way and p- call it part of the, you know, the idea of attraction or whatever. I don't know. You know, I'm not him. I don't know how or why he set it up that way. But we know there's an infatuation high and it's and it's chemical. It's part of our the, our, the way that he set us up and everything. And I go, but eventually you know, some of that wears off and, and, and people freak out about that because then they go chasing for the next high or whatever. And I go, no, the idea of that might've been to bring you together, but it's, it's for that to mature into yeah. a, a choice kind of love, you know, like love versus love as a choice versus as a, as a feeling, you yeah. know? And, um, so there's days that you feel that, but I think that the, the fun part that we've realized over the years in our own marriage and then also working with couples is that, I mean, if you can choose that by faith, on those days where you don't maybe feel it, it's not your first inclination or whatever. The feeling always comes later anyway. Yeah. It's like you get the best of both worlds. Yeah. You know, you know, I, I think back about that word feeling and I, we all heard the Barry Manilow song back. You guys may have been a little young for this, but <laughs> it, it was big in the, in the seventies and eighties. And there was one song that he had about Dr. My woman is coming back home late today. And I'm, uh, I'm trying to find the feeling mm-hmm. I've looked high, low everywhere I possibly can trying to get the feeling once again. Yeah. And you know, and then he goes on to say, it, it disappeared as quickly as it came. Yeah. Mm. And well, if, how about Righteous Brothers? You've lost that love and feel. I <laughs> yeah, mean, right? You know, I mean, there's lots of yeah, songs about there's that. There's a lot of them. <laughs> so basically, if that's your your uh, definition of marriage is a feeling, yeah. you're already in in the hot hooey here. You're in trouble. You need to get out of that and realize that the best definition of a marriage is a commitment. That's right. And you have made a commitment before the Lord. And I think people in this day and age forget that. Even among the church, you know, divorces are way too high in the, the community of the church. Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. it's that way. So we, if we get couples committed, like you said, you know, a lot of times you have people, one is in, one is out, uh, maybe already halfway out of the marriage, maybe even. But when you have a couple where they're both committed, both want to do it, mm-hmm. it can be done. Mm-hmm. And it's not mm-hmm. only can be done. It can be done with excellence and that love feeling, those endorphins, that uh, dopamine, what'd you say? The dopamine, do- yeah. The dopamine <laughs> high, I like that. That's a good one. I'm going to keep that one. That's good. Yeah, those endorphins that kind of made the person just go ooey gooey and love and feelings and all of that can come back again into that marriage. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. And not only that, it's stronger on the other side. Better than ever. Not just that feeling, but it's deeper, more rich and vibrant. Yeah. Versus just that surface. I think it's safe too because you're not fearing the fallout of when the feeling goes away mm. again as well. Because I mean, yeah. that's so much of life. I mean, I, I think human beings fascinate me sometimes because I think of what they do for thrills, you know, for, for the next <laughs> high or whatever, yeah. jumping out of a perfectly good airplane. I don't you're even like right. to get in a perfectly good airplane and not jump out of it, you know, and they're <laughs> jumping out of it, you know, kind of thing. And you see that stuff just chasing the next high. And it's like, man, if we're not careful, you know, if we keep doing that time and time again, then mm-hmm. we don't know how to react to the times where that. Yeah that feeling isn't, isn't there, you know? And it's so, so when you've learned 
you know, to, to play the long game, if you will, yeah. right. When you've learned to do that, there's a safety in that. That's where that commitment really starts to like, I mean, it, it becomes more than just a, um, a resolution you've made. You, it actually becomes a feeling in and of itself mm-hmm. because it's like, man, I feel the power of this commitment and what it does and the safe context it's created for my marriage to flourish and to heal at times when it needs to heal. Yeah. And I think every marriage is going to be in that boat right there at some point or another. And I don't care how good the marriage is, how much you love each other. We all go through those times where it's difficulty. And uh, I've heard it years ago. Here's a a quote that a friend said. Marriage is not the avoidance of conflict. It is the perseverance during the conflict. Mm. It is how you learn to mitigate and how you learn to work through these issues because every couple, I don't care who they are, every couple is going to have them. Yeah. Yeah. They're going to be there. Yeah. Yeah. There's a different level of maturity. I think when you just don't cut and run, (laughs) when you settle in well said, and you get ready for the long haul. Yeah. It's really beautiful on the other side. (laughs) Mike, there's a, there's a phrase that I think we, we kind of threw out by accident years ago. And it was, uh, I, I had a situation one time, I was working with this couple that I think one of them actually said in a session, you're, you're, you're my enemy or you're like my enemy or something like that, right? And I think it was one of those sort of like subconscious gut answers, you know, that came out and then their head heard it and said, wait a second, that's not really true. And, you know, it's just the divided parts in between them. And so I looked at them, I said, but you don't really believe that. Well, no. I said, well, turn and look at your spouse right now and just tell them right now, you're not my enemy. I know you're not my enemy, Right. And it was just, it was an afterthought. And I remember this couple comes back to me and they go, that was like the most powerful thing we'd ever done before. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And I'm going, that was the, I'm like, that was like, that was my worst trick in the bag. You know? like, <laughs> well, don't, you, don't you think the enemy would love to make a, a couple feel like their spouse is after them of in a course. bad way? Of course. So yeah. time over the years, that has become almost like a calling card for us is that we'll teach that whether it's premarital or you're in crisis or whatever. You know, sometimes in premarital, it's just teaching proactively um, conflict resolution, you know, mm-hmm. skills or whatever, because because this is what I know when I don't have to look at my spouse in the eye. Right. And and I can just let my mind wander and and the crazy conspiratorial thoughts just run rampant in my mind. Then, yeah, I can build up this idea that she is my enemy at time all the time. No. But when we have a disagreement, yeah, right. right? When we're not, you know what I mean? Uh, and yeah. and I think there's just something powerful about looking each other in the eye and just reminding ourselves of that. And yeah. saying, you know, I know that you're not my enemy. Part of me is, part of me thinks that's an affirmation, but I think it's also like a prophetic word, mm-hmm. if you will. You know, mm-hmm. like it, it's both and. You're, you're speaking that into existence and at the same time affirming what you already know to be true. And I've, it's amazing because I've, I've taken that for granted and I've seen yeah. that has affected so many couples just being able to do that and, you know, say you're not my enemy, looking at each other in the eye. It's you crazy. know, I, I think remembering is a really big, important mm-hmm. part. Mm-hmm. I know ancient Israel would set up memorials mm-hmm. that they would literally walk by and they would remember. Yeah. Now, they didn't have things like, uh, you know, computers to write down uh, or type out or type into. They didn't have all that technology back then, but they built simple things. And that was very effective. Mm-hmm. They remembered mm-hmm. what God had done. Yep. And if, if a couple can do that, it can really go a long way in, in making sure you're not 
crossing lines, crossing boundaries that you don't want to cross. So here's your test, Mike. We got to figure out how how Baptist you are here. All right, can <laughs> all we right. do it on the air? Is that okay? Um, in the Baptist hymnal, think about the hymn "Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing." Mm-hmm. Remember this hymn, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. The second verse of it says, here I raise mine. Ebenezer. Ebenezer. Okay, he's Baptist. Right. He works. Uh, yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. other variations it's that yeah. change the words on that. Yeah. Why do I point out that word? Because one of the words that makes up that word there is the word etzer in Hebrew. It's the E-Z-E-R at the end of that, that word. And it's an interesting word because it's actually the word that Shannon was referring to earlier when she said strength mm. opposite of the man. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know this until I studied this in the Hebrew. The word um, for helper, as we see in English, as in helper suitable for the man, that we have adopted and said, no, it's really strength opposite of the man is that word etzer in Hebrew. Now there is some Hebrew professor out there going, he is butchering the pronunciation of that word. How did that seminary give him a degree? Okay. I'll admit to it. I don't have the pronunciation down, but I went and I studied that word that, that is part of the word Ebenezer. And it's used about 30 other times in the old Testament. And you know what I found is that every single time that we see that word used outside of Genesis two, it is always God or an agent of God, like uh, like an angel or in some context, it was um, a, a, like maybe a human agent of God that in some cases was favorable to Israel at a time where they were weak. But point um, Psalm 121, I lift up my eyes to the hills yeah. from where does my help there, from. my help yeah. right come from. Right. Um, every single time we see that word outside of Genesis 2, the word means help from a strengthened position. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not helper like, hey, you're my sidekick, but I'm the cool one. I'm the important one or something like that. It is strength and power. And and rescue. Yeah. And so it's funny because we were talking about, you know, noticing these places where God has shown up and done his thing. And that very word that many of us sing as part of a classic yeah. hymn is right there staring us in the face. And it's actually a word that has marriage connection as well. This is where God yeah. showed up and he was our rescue. Right. This wasn't God, yeah. you know, on the sidelines bringing, um, I would say, like making like a good soccer mom and bringing some orange slices and some some Gatorade because yeah. we were famished. This was when God's people were in trouble. They were in desperate need. If he didn't show up, they were toast. Right. And he came and he rescued them. And that's actually the same word that is used for the strength created opposite of that man in Genesis 2. Yeah. And that's how they should function for each other. Right. When I, they see it that way. I think of Psalm 3 as well. You mm-hmm. know, when you. You look at Psalm 3, and many are there that would say of me that there's no help for me. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me. Yes. The the glory, my glory, and the lifter of my head. And he goes on to say, I will not be afraid uh, of, you know, I lay myself down. I I, I sleep, I rest, because the Lord has sustained us. I tell you what, when we have that, when we see the Lord lifted up in our eyes, and that's what I pray that couples will do today who are feeling down, maybe feeling hopeless. That's what I love about the Lord. There's always hope. Yeah. Mm, yeah. You know, yeah. We're not without it. Mm. So tell us how people can get in touch with you. So uh, I, I guess they would go to the First Orlando website, firstorlando.com. It's all spelled out and just search marriage and they can find, you know, any anything that has an email or whatever that goes to marriage. I kind of you know, I'm not the guy that has pictures everywhere or whatever. Just you send something marriage at firstorlando.com. It ends up with me. And okay. then we have uh, we're slacking on this. We need to get it back in order. But we've had a website for years called marriageblueprints.com. And that's part of it. it that name comes from this idea that we believe that that Genesis 2 passage serves as a blueprint for marriage. And so when we had to name kind of a, an LLC on the side that we were working on, we said, well, what about marriage blueprints? Right? I like because, it. Because rather than correct yeah. things, let's let's get it right from the start and build from a blueprint. That's and beautiful. So, so marriageblueprints.com and uh, in the past, if we can get on our game, it's just time is the issue. You know, we were had a season where we were sending out emails um, weekly, five minute marriage tips and stuff for for couples. But there's a mailing list that people can get on there. And anytime that we're 
working on a, an event or a discipleship opportunity or whatever, you know, we communicate that way for sure. And that's probably about the best. We're not on social. So, you know, during times to, like yeah. these, uh, people would probably do well to be less on social than mm-hmm. what they are. I mean, yeah. I think the yeah. social media is a greatly a part of the stress of this world, yeah. both young and old married or single. Yeah. I mean, it yeah. really is true, but yeah. also during times like these, we need the good news of the gospel mm-hmm. and that good news kind of broken down for couples mm-hmm. because that's what you guys do. I really yeah. appreciate you coming in today and really look forward to having you both back up here. This has been fun. Yeah. I mean, this hour evaporated, my it friend. It did. It did. For sure. I feel like every time you and I are together that that happens, though. So that's a good thing, guys. For that's a good having thing. Having fun. I love it. That's right. And friends, we thank you for joining us as well. Don't forget, Jeff and Shannon can be reached at the website one more time. Yeah, marriageblueprints.com. And then, of course, firstorlando.com slash, I think, slash like resource slash marriage. All right. The McLaughlins. Uh, it's really been great to have them up here. We'll see you all next time right here on Afternoons with Mike. <laughs>